and I will pay you after a while for when we go home for those those kind words. Uh, thank you, Brother Joe and uh, Brother Foster, the the song leading and, and the prayers. And and you'll have to understand now, I am not uh, your Orthodox uh, Lord's Church preacher. I'm. Um, as as uh, Brother Rick said, um, you know I have I have and continue to do many different things. But my passion uh, in the latter years of my life is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's only by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ that I stand before you this evening. And for that, I am very grateful. Sometimes I'm not grateful enough. And that is a shortcoming that I continue to work on. I just want to give you just a a small, and I'm not going to go into a life history story, because Brent Ray, his beautiful wife back here, or was he was the... Uh, most valuable player and all stay on those AAA basketball championships Brother Rick told you about, and, and they live in Chattanooga now, and I appreciate them being here so much. But you have to understand that my background is different than most of yours. I grew up in a very strict denominational church when I say very strict, my mother wasn't allowed to wear jewelry. She wasn't allowed allowed to wear makeup. She was not allowed to wear pants. My father was of the belief, and as much of that church doctrine was of the belief, of the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant, I had it told to me many times as I was being beat, as my brothers were being beat, that if... Our Father beat us, then it would keep God from having to punish us. So He would take out His punishment Himself, thus God wouldn't have to. Unfortunately, what we find in today's society that most children get their first impression of our Heavenly Father, God, from our earthly fathers. So you can see that I had a very skewed messed up ideal of our Heavenly Father, God, and thus I never, ever had the concept of grace and what grace meant. Not until that I was baptized into the Lord's Church in 1995, and and, and, and basically I went after after I got to a certain age, I had... My older brothers uh, committed suicide. Uh, you know, it was, you know, it it, it wasn't the best of, and, and not that I had it any worse or, or any better than anybody else. And I don't want to make it sound that way, but I was done with church. Period. Ended. Did not go to church. Would not go to church. And actually, the first time I went to church is when I was uh, dating Rick's sister. And and even then, it was only as a token because 
you know, we were engaged and I thought it was the right thing that I should do, at least go one time. And so that's what I did. Then what happened as we had, had, I had coached 10 years in Fentress County at Clark Range High School, and then we had moved to White County and in Sparta, and I coached there for 10 years. And during that time, that process, you know, my mind, you know, from a, from a spiritual standpoint, I had none. From, from a scriptural standpoint, I had none. I was lost, as lost could be. Even though that, that Brent can tell you that I was a very determined, driven coach that, that, ex, that, that, that demanded and expected the top and the best of each and every one of the players, as an individual within my soul, I was lost. I became an alcoholic. I suffered from alcoholism, and only, like I said, by the grace of God, I will die an alcoholic. I pray that I die a sober alcoholic. So I have been sober now for almost 15 years, and I, it's only by the grace of God that it, but it is something that I will always have to continue to work on and depend upon the grace of God for strength and support. Because, you know, unlike my wife, Rick's sister, and I don't know how you feel, but I was, and, and she believes that, 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 that is only a, uh, an addiction is a lack of willpower and a lack of faith. Well, I don't believe that. It's a disease. My father was an alcoholic, my brothers were alcoholics, my grandfather was an alcoholic, my uncles were alcoholic, and they all died in prison or killed themselves. And I'll be honest with you, I come to that same point. Life has its ways of reaching the breaking point. And I reached, I got to that point where I was either going to have to make a change or I will follow the footsteps of what my family had done. And like I said, only by the grace of God and His intervention that I'm here tonight. And I am so thankful for that. I have, as I said, I was baptized into Christ in 1995. I have been uh, filling in over the last 10 years. i I'd filled in at different churches and became uh, the minister for Dorset Church of Christ almost four years ago. And uh, it's a small congregation. We average 60 to 65, but it is an absolute wonderful congregation that is so enthusiastic. And it goes along with our message tonight that I had proposed to them three years ago about us instituting a jail ministry because that was something that was very close to my heart and very important to me is because I had seen and working with young people with, with, with drug abuse problems, with alcohol problems, that 
many of those young people were being locked away and being provided with no resources on how to get better or how to work on some type of program to improve and hopefully come to that spiritual awakening that give them the opportunity to be successful and live clean and sober and productive. So we started a, a very active jail ministry. Tomorrow I was going to, I was planning on spending the night with, with, uh, Rick and Nicole and the girls, but I, I, jail ministry, we've been on vacation and I am behind and I have to be at the jail, don't have to be, but I want to be at the jail all day tomorrow. What we do in our jail ministry is that I will meet in groups, Bible study, talk to them about, and you know, I was telling Rick before, I said, you know, it is amazing to me that here we are in White County and we're in the South, the Bible Belt, and I took for granted that everybody had had gone to church somewhere, had heard about Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me the number have never heard the gospel or opened a Bible, have any idea what you're talking about when you say open your Bible to Psalms chapter. They don't, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. What we have done with our jail ministry then is, is, is I, once, at least once a week and sometimes twice a week, I will spend the day and I will meet with groups, small groups, small groups of Bible study and prayer. We talk about issues that are going on in their lives, the things that they feel like, and, and, and most of them, most of them are honest and open. I realize, I'm no fool, that some of them are cons. And they will do things and say things that will further their cause, help them with an early release, help them with probation, help them to be able to get a character witness to stand in front of the judge and say, yes, he is. he has been to uh, Bible study for six straight months and has done really well. There's some that want to do that. But, you know, that is not for me to make the decision. I do not know their hearts. I may have some kind of inclination on what their motives are, but that is not for me to decide. What for me to decide is what we're talking about, planting seeds, hopefully, that will take root, that will make a difference in their lives when and if they get out of incarceration. So then those that are that that are at the Bible study, then after they want to spend one on one time then I'm able to spend one-on-one time in discussing with them the Scripture, the plan of salvation, as it is outlined in the Scriptures. And over the last three years, we've and I'm not going to give you the number because I try not to keep up with it, but we've had several baptisms there in the jail. We have about five members at DeRosset that were former inmates at the jail that some of them are um, song leaders, some participate, which 
it, it, it thrills my soul. I'm not going to tell you it doesn't. It really does. I hope, I pray that it continues and God uses that ministry because, again, that goes along with what we have, and I know the series that you have been going on Wednesday evenings on the fruit of the Spirit as what Paul had told the church at Galatia and the churches at Galatia of the fruits of the Spirit. And if you want to look at the Bible passage, at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26, as Paul is telling the churches at Galatia, in verse, starting at verse 19, and the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lavishness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But now look what he switches gears. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. Now look, the Apostle Paul, in telling the churches at Galatia, you know, at first in this particular passage, he, he, he says, I've told you in the past that these things that I am telling you now are wrong. These things are go against what God wants of His people. These things, if we continue in those things, you will not and cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But what he goes on to say, and starting in verse, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I, ho- and I know that it's been explained to you probably many weeks over during this series, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, of course, coming from Jesus Christ, the love, the tr- and, and, and I'm not going to get into describing the Trinity, but the fruit of the Spirit is that, and, and, and that Holy Spirit that indwells with us, as, Paul, as we're told, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, when they ask him, what must we do? And Peter told them that you are to believe and repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift of the Holy Spirit, as we know, is not what the apostles 
that gift of being able to lay hands on and heal or raise from the dead, that was not the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit was the fruit of the Spirit that come with a cleansing when Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us from all sin. You know that peace and serenity that surpasses all understanding? That is where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. I was telling Rick, Rick and I was having a cup of coffee a little while ago, and of course I can talk to him and tell him things that I can't tell anybody else. He can tell me things that he can't tell anybody else. Nicole, I'm sorry. But, you know, sometimes a minister will be swamped, and especially over the last few months, as Rick said, I've been preaching at two congregations. And, you know, and you know, and, and I feel it's my responsibility that, you know, when there are members of that congregation that are sick, that, that, that are hurting, that are having problems, then, I, you know, I am to try my best not just to keep them and uplift them in prayer and intercession in prayer, but also to try to be there. It's difficult to do. And sometimes the pressure of that, and people don't realize that when you feel like that you're on call 24-7, that you can become very tired. But Rick asked me a question, and, and I don't know how we got into it, And I said, you know, Rick, I'm going to tell you something. I have a peace and inner serenity that I can't explain to you that I only know that comes from God the Father that dwells within me. And, you know, the other things, and I truly believe this, that God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, now look what I said. God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's not what we will not do for ourselves. See, some people get that confused. Some people will say, "Hey, I'm going to sit here on the I'm going to sit here on this pew and I'm going to I'm going to take in all the blessings of God. I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to turn on the TV and we'll watch that ball game. I'm going to eat a bag of potato chips and drink a Coca-Cola and I'm going to wait for the blessings of God to be poured down upon me." That's not the way it works. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. That's not what it, the way it works. God is faithful and just that He will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And let me give you an example of that. And I know that I'm scattered all over the place, but you know that's usually the way that I am. Uh, I, I, that's the way my life is scattered all over the place. My preaching sermons are scattered all over the place. And I pray that you get something out of it. If you don't, I apologize and blame Brother Rick. Well, we have two sons. Uh, Pierce, 18, getting ready to go to college this month at UT. Great athlete. Could have done anything he wanted to, athletic. Uh, Never had the heart or desire. Now, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, you know, you know, he was spoiled rotten by his mother. And, uh, you know, and I couldn't coach him because there's no way. And Brent will tell you the same thing. He's back there smiling. He could, there's no way he could have took me as a coach. 
because every time that I would start him, he'd ball up and cry. Parker, on the other hand, is a 13-year-old, and he's very, very small. He looks like he's 9, 10. He has a terminal lung disease. And they had told us at Vanderbilt when he was diagnosed at 3 that he wouldn't live to be 12. Well, he's 13. Medicines have, 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 have improved. The, the medical care is, has, you know, and he does three hours of treatments a day, and he never complains. He never, you know, when other kids are going out to play or going out to swim and he has to do a treatment, he doesn't complain. He does his treatments, and he is an inspiration to me as well as many of his friends. And, and, and Brother Rick and I was talking before. I said, you know, uh, and, 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 and he has said to me, Dad, you know, why, why do I have to do these things and other children don't? And I said, let me tell you something, Parker. Everybody, everybody has something in their life that touches them. You have something in your life that touches you. You have things in your life that is not exactly the way you would want them to be, whether it might be a rebellious child, where it might be a diagnosis of cancer, whether it might be whatever, there is something touching all of us. You know, James tells us, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says to count it all joy when we face trials and tribulations of all kinds, of any kinds, of, because through that it will develop perseverance. And through that, he don't say if you face trials and tribulations, he says when you face trials and tribulations. Folks, if we live in this earth, if we live in this world, we're going to have them. There, it is not, I don't care how much money you got, what title, you, how many degrees and letters you've got after your name, all of us are going to face those. But Parker, bless his heart, after I, I said, you know, all. And I said, just be thankful to God that we know what your issue is and we're able to attack it. And we're able to do the things that keep you as healthy as we possibly can. And, you know, and, 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 and we have this thing. Of course, you know, he's, he's stubborn. He's, he's um, very outspoken. He's very rambunctious. He's mean as a snake, much like his mother. These characteristics that he has inherited. Now, it, actually, he's more like me and Pierce is like his mother. But anyway... We have this thing, and I wake him up of a morning because he has to wake up about 5.30, and he has an hour of treatment to do before he gets ready for school. And, and so, you know, at 5.30 in the morning, especially this time of year when school is just getting back, and, you know, that's, that's pretty tough, especially when you've been used to sleep until 10 or 10.30. And I'll go in, and I'll say, Parker, time to get up. And he'll say, oh, Daddy, is it already? And I said, yep. But you know what, Parker? This is a wonderful day. And he says, and I said, do you know why? And he said, yes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
So we do that every day. You know, and, 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 and at first it may be that you are just calling out words, but eventually that sinks in. That becomes part of our lives. That yes, we have today. We have today. We, we're not, none of us are promised tomorrow, but we have today. We have right now. We have this wonderful facility with these smiling faces, one of the best-looking congregations that I've ever seen, sitting here, and we have each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, back to what we were discussing. You know, Brother Rick said, you know, we were going to talk about kindness, meekness, being humble, humility in the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and let me, and, and I do not mean to offend anyone here. If I do, I apologize beforehand. But sometimes we in the Lord's church have been our own worst enemy. I'm going to tell you. Because I know I grew up on the other side of the fence. And, and Brother Rick can tell you in Fentress County, there was only two congregations, one in Grimsley and one in Jamestown. And you know what I always heard? Yeah, you don't want to go there. They're the only ones going to heaven. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. That's all I heard. That's all I heard. So what do you think I grew up with other than that, 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 that God is a God of vengeance, of retribution, and not of love and grace? That's what I grew up with. So you could see, you know, my, how, how messed up I was and am. I'm not going to say I'm completely straightened out, but God has helped me a great deal. But what we have to understand is, as being members of the Lord's church, as we are sowing seeds, and we are trying to reap a harvest, because that is what we're doing, folks. You know, whether it is abroad, across the seas, doing mission work, or if it's down the street in a community, if it is in a subdivision just down the road, we are commanded to be spreading the Word of God and planting seeds. Now, in doing so, in doing so, and I know what, you've got family members like I do. Well, I don't, but did have. But you've got co-workers, which I do, that go to different churches, denominational churches. And so when at work, when it comes up about scriptural issues, you know, why do you take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, on every first day of the week? that's what the scriptures say that's what the first century church did then you know you get into that discussion and there is a way I truly believe of approaching people of different points of view without alienating and coming across as being self-righteous and holier than thou. It's difficult sometimes, especially if you're turned like me, where you're so competitive that
that then I get angry and I'm going to get the best of you and, you know, watch me out-argue you. Now, that, that doesn't work. What works in that kindness and showing the kindness and love that of Christian love, and let me read what theologian William Barclay once said. He said, More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of a real Christian love than by any theological arguments ever placed in the world. When people, and that's the thing about the jail ministry, when they know that you genuinely care, that you're not getting paid to be there, but you genuinely care about their souls, about them as people, then they become more receptive, more open, to the message of Jesus Christ. And so, doing it out of love and out of kindness in approaching and planting the seeds is so much more productive than doing it out of a way which seems mean-spirited, which seems judgmental. And now, I'm not telling you, or nor would I ever tell you, that you would be complicit in things that are not scriptural and tell people it's okay, because it's not. But let me tell you something. There is a difference between condemning and condoning. Now, let me say that again. There is a difference between condemning and condoning. We got, we just got back from a vacation, a much needed one, by the way, in Hawaii. And I was telling Rick about the Church of Christ that we visited there, and oh man, was it different? I had no idea. Uh, we were on the Big Island of Hawaii, and. Uh, it said Church of Christ, and so, you know, I take for granted at 9 o'clock that morning, it's Church of Christ, and we're going in. And so we four go in Sunday morning, and we sit on the back row. Well, the first thing they did, a woman got up and told my wife, come here, come over and sit on this side, because the men were sitting on that side. Which, you know, I, I understand the history of the church, and, I, you know, th- that's not a big deal. The big deal began when the curtains rolled back, which I thought was a baptistry, and there was a choir there. Now, that was when the big deal, that's when Pearson Parker got up and left. I think they were looking for a reason to leave, but they got up and left, and, and Terry's sitting over there, and she's looking at me, and she's going, and I'm going, I'm, I'm waiting this out. I'm going to see what comes from this. You know, it is... What we see, and I talked with the minister, and he had a great sermon. But afterwards, we talked for a little while, and I, and I told him, you know, what I see is not what we as in, in, in Tennessee or, or in the southeastern United States, as far as the Church of Christ, this is not what we believe to be scriptural. Of course, he went on to tell me how he had been handed down from generation to generation from the Philippines 103 years prior to. But I said, there is a difference between tradition and what is scriptural. You know, we can get into traditions 
And that doesn't mean that they're scriptural. Let me tell you about a church, and this is a true story. In Warren County, which is you know adjoining county to White County, there was a small congregation. And I went to do a gospel meeting there, and I got there on Sunday morning. And it's not too far from, from where we lived. I mean, it's probably a 30-minute drive. And I get there, and, you know, just like any, any other Sunday morning service, when they got ready to sing the first song, they asked everybody to stand. When they stood, everybody turned to the right and faced the wall and sang the first hymn. And I thought, this is bizarre. This is strange. After they sung that first hymn, they turned around and sat back down. And then sung, song, had prayer, whatever. You know, I couldn't let that go. So after, after the, the, the worship service, I asked the minister, I said, hey, what is this about? What is this turning to the right and everybody facing the wall? He said, that's a good question. He said, I've been here three years and I haven't figured it out. And I said, have you not asked? And he said, well, you know, the people I've asked, they don't know. So Sunday evening, Sunday evening, there was a gentleman, he was 93 years old. And he came, he hadn't been there on Sunday morning, but he came on Sunday evening. And the minister said, hey, let's talk to him. And so I go up to him and I said, let me tell you, let me ask you. I said, this has bugged me all day long. This has really bugged me. Why does the congregation at the beginning of the worship service stand up and everybody face the right, face the wall? He said, I can tell you exactly why. You see, when this congregation started, we didn't have hymnals. And that blank white wall, we wrote the, the words to the songs on that wall. It's been painted over 20 times, but we still face that wall. And I said, my goodness, has everybody any thought that we got hymnals now? He said, they just got used to doing it. And you see, see, sometimes, sometimes we can get into that mode, even though we don't have manuals, and, and, and that we have one manual, and that manual is the holy inspired word of God. And when we take away or we add to it, then we have absolutely gone against what God has commanded in His Word of God. And now look, I want you to, I want you to look at one thing, and I'm going to quit because I know I'm about out of time. You know, uh, I could do, and Rick can tell you this, I could do till midnight and somebody fall out the window and might die the Apostle Paul, and I, and I cannot resurrect him. So, uh, but I want you to look at Matthew chapter 13, if you will, verses 1 through 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Now, most biblical theologians will tell you and agree that this is the first parable that Jesus Christ used. We all know what parables are. They are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
And Jesus taught in parables. And, and most agree that this is the first one that he used. Let's look at it. As the Bible says, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and a great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now look, a lot of people don't understand. When you get this picture in your mind, these multitudes that followed Jesus Christ as he was preaching and teaching in that three-plus years, it continued to grow. And, and, and what you see here is probably at Cove. He gets in a boat, and you wonder how, when we talk about multitudes, we're talking about thousands of people, how they could hear him because they didn't have microphones. The acoustics there off that water in that cove gives a natural, loud-speaking voice. And so the multitudes could hear him. And, of course, that's a God thing. All right, now, verse 3 says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. Verse 5. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now look, I love this part of this parable. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and they said to him, they come to Jesus and they say to him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, you know, the disciples are ordinary people like me and you. You know, they're, they're, they're not well educated. They are, you know, they're fishermen, tax collectors, and ordinary people. And so they said, Jesus, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Look what Jesus said to them in verse 11. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it is not given. He said, I am giving you private instructions day by day in your spiritual growth. But to them, they are not getting that. I have to present it in a way that they are going to understand. In verse 12, he says, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. What Jesus is saying and telling his disciples, I am putting it in a way that they can understand. They hear. If they do not comprehend or do, are they willing to listen to what is being said or are they going to use it just as the Pharisees did in a way of trying to persecute or catch Jesus up in some 
kind of trick. Sowing the seeds. He said, you know, and, and, and if you look at the, the Greek translation, you know, to sow at that particular time, and, 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 and the agricultural society as it was in the first century, you know, the sower, the farmer, you know, to sow actually meant to cast out, which meant, you know, this, this farmer is going to take a handful of seeds and he's going to cast out. It, it's not as if with the day where we got rows, where we plant gardens and we plant fields and we go in a row, they cast out. And so the seeds fall. The seeds fall in different places. Some fell on stony ground, which there's no chance for them to come up. But there were still seeds that were thrown out. Then there were seeds that fell where roots could not get hold. And even though that they would come up, they weren't going to last very long. When the sun came up, they withered and died. Those that were thrown, sown against, you know, with the thorns. Those thorn bushes, the briar bushes, they're not going to produce the fruit. But then those that were sown on the good soil, the good soil, it was going to produce, and they produced hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Hard to count, to keep up with. What's the point that Jesus had? You know, first of all, that it is extremely important that we sow the seeds. We sow them the right way. That we sow them in a way of love, kindness, in meekness, and to reap those fruits of the Spirit. And also, what is important is to understand that God, if we're willing to do the legwork, He'll prepare the soil for us that good soul where that harvest can come, where that harvest of a hundredfold, of thirtyfold. And, you know, and sometimes it can be really frustrating. I understand. You know, you work and you knock on doors and you go and you talk and, 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 and you ask, and it can get frustrating at times. But I understand this. We never give up. We never give up. Those seeds planted, and I was talking to a parent yesterday. I'd worked with this young man. He's 23 years old. He had a drug, a, a bad drug, drug habit, and, 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 and I had him for a year where he worked a program, and he had done so good, and he was baptized into the church, and he came to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and he was absolutely wonderful, and I was so proud of him. About three months ago, he disappeared. Couldn't find him. Wouldn't answer my calls, text. His mother didn't know where he was at. As it turns out, he had relapsed. Gone back out. Yesterday, she called me and asked me to come. And I did. I went over to see her. And and my heart went out for her. And to, uh, to her. And, and And I said, you know... This is the deal. You know, all too many times that if we try and we love our kids, I understand that, and we love our grandkids, but there comes a time where we have to say enough is enough. 
I am not going to support you under this lifestyle because all I am doing is speeding up. Because in this experience, as I told her, one of three things is going to happen. He's either going to straighten up, he's going to be locked up or covered up. And so, but I said, understand this. He has the foundation of faith instilled in him. He understands the gospel. He knows what's right and wrong. Did I try to call him? Absolutely. Did I text him? Yes. Over the last two days, probably 20 times. No response. She asked me if I would continue to do that, and I will. I'll continue to text him. But I tell him, unless you're willing to talk to me, unless you're willing to take suggestions, unless you're willing, I can't make you do it. I didn't mean to end on such a negative tone, but let me say that it is wonderful, wonderful to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. It's wonderful to get to visit with Rick and his family. It's good to see each and meet you and, 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 and to be a part of this series. And I hopefully, through all this rambling and this mess that you've heard, that there has been something that you have been able to take with you and will be able to take with you. We're in the church at the end of, you know, the invitation is always open. And some people don't understand that. The invitation to come to Christ is always open. But at the end of each service, we offer a special invitation. If you need the prayers of the church for any reason, the invitation is yours to come forward. Or if you have not obeyed the gospel and been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, that invitation is surely open for you also. As we stand and sing, and we sing the invitation song.